Hi, I'm Princess Rara. And I'm Dara, the Electro Khaleesi. And this is Pink Kink, the podcast where we talk about the pretty, twisted side of kink. Today's episode is produced by our electrifying pink kinksters. Thank you, VESW, Jay, Brianna Lynn, Daddy Jay, Embers, Fabe, Blossom, William P, Lady, Claire, Jam Today, Mr. N and Mrs. Jess, Mistress Good Girl, Lady Blooding, Six and Eight, Cassie, Primal Empress, Kaze, Harley Gentleman, Roxy, Mistress Francesca, Slut Queenie, Butte Pain, Manda Panda, Cat, Stefan, Brooklyn B, Serenity Deb, Robert, Ruby R, Christopher, Jess, and Sam. Pink Kink runs off the generosity of our devoted patrons. As a patron, you will become a member of our special Discord server, receive some adorable Pink Kink stickers, as well as have access to a monthly behind-the-scenes podcast. In addition, our impactful and electrifying Pink Kinksters will get special audio and video episodes. And finally, patrons at our highest tier will be recognized as producers both here on the podcast and on our website. If you would like to become a patron, you can visit us at patreon.com slash pinkkinkpodcast or click the link at pinkkinkpodcast.com. Dar, recently we did an answering Reddit yes. questions episode, and I came across the following question. What do doctors think about whip marks? Hello. So as we are happily viewing my whip marks this evening, my husband and I wondered what would happen if I showed up in a hospital for an unrelated accident and they saw these marks. Has anyone been there? I'm not shy about my kinks and will, with embarrassment, be glad to fill them in. But will they investigate further? Will there be follow-ups with the police or domestic abuse social workers? What can we do to protect ourselves? Or let's be real, protect my husband because I'm the one with the whip marks. And so that naturally led to the question about whether or not we can consensually agree from a legal standpoint to BDSM. And how can we protect ourselves from the law? You know, certain BDSM sexual practices can be and sometimes are actually prosecuted under state criminal laws dealing with assault, aggravated assault, sexual assault, or sexual abuse. And criminal prosecution can arise in various circumstances, including if one participant is injured enough to require medical treatment and the injury is brought to the attention of police or hospital staff or doctors who are what's called mandatory reporters. And haven't we actually had an incident like that before at a party? We did. So neither one of us has any legal expertise beyond watching Law and Order. Nope. (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) So we brought in some folks who know a lot more about the subject than we do. And first, I'd like to introduce Lynn. Lynn is a kitten to saber tooth, identifies as a pansexual switch. Lynn's been in the lifestyle for a little over 10 years, being more active in her local community since about 2017. Mm -hmm. She's co-leader of Edge House. She's an active member of Nighthawks of Virginia and Virginia House of Trans. She's also, most importantly, earned her Juris Doctor in late 2019 and is a current bar candidate in Washington, D.C. She's an independent judicial officer. She's been in this position for about two years, and she enjoys contributing to the community by hosting munches, helping with education, and even volunteering as a dungeon or play space monitor. She is passionate about promoting safe, 
consensual, consensual and inclusive space for all. I have one question. Okay. Only one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, right now. Okay. Because of this introduction. Yeah. What is a Juris Doctor? It's the degree that attorneys get. So it's a Doctor of Law, technically. Oh, that's badass. <laughs> is that like when a librarian gets a doctorate, you're actually a Doctor of Information? It's similar. It's a professional degree. That's really badass. That sounds really cool. Okay. But we don't have just one guest today. This is true. This is the first time we've done this. We like, have this situation. Two. Our second guest is Lady Steele. Now, Lady Steele is a femme lesbian alpha leather slave. She's an international presenter, resides in Atlanta, where she is the only open, out, and practicing attorney in the U.S. that specializes in the issues that arise in the BDSM and ethical non-monogamy community. Education is her passion, and she has taught hundreds of classes over 15 years, both live and virtually. She is the founder of the Center of Learning and School of Success, the Worthless Bastards Cigar Club, (laughs) and the Leather Coterie. She proudly leads all of these organizations under the umbrella of the West Inclusive Georgia Socials Group. Lady Steele's held the position of social coordinator for NLA Atlanta during its last incarnation in Atlanta. She continues to give back to the community as board support for the Leather Leadership Conference and also a proud member of Onyx Pearls Leather. When she is not presenting, Lady Steele has shared her knowledge through multiple podcasts. This lady is very well known for her knowledge about BDSM and the law. I'm excited. I'm excited for both of these. Like, this is fantastic. We have so many questions for the two of them. We usually do. We have lots of questions all the time for stuff like this. And then usually what happens is we end up finding out stuff about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then when the episode airs, people message us and are like, I never thought of it that way. I might have to add another label to my collection or something like that. Now, this is going to be one of those episodes where I think it's probably best before we start any discussion that we need a disclaimer. That is accurate. Okay. And I think this one, the topic is a little bit more serious than our normals. Mm -hmm. So would either one of you lovely ladies like to make your legal disclaimer before we get started? I am not a licensed attorney in any state anywhere. I am a board candidate, meaning I will be licensed soon, just not now. Um, And nothing I say is legal advice. And if you need legal advice, you need to contact an attorney in your jurisdiction. Perfect. Well said. All right. And Lady Steele, I'm sure you also have a legal disclaimer. Good afternoon, ladies. It's so nice to be here. Um, I am Lady Steele. I am the only open out and practicing BDSM and ethical non-monogamy specializing attorney in the country. And as a result, I do have a legal disclaimer. It's true. It's true. Uh, I am an attorney licensed to practice in the state of Georgia, although I have practiced in many other states on a case-by-case basis. Uh, But what everybody here needs to know is that nothing that I talk about here constitutes legal advice. It does not establish an attorney-client relationship. Uh, No assembly or required batteries not included. So, yeah, (laughs) I think I've got everything uh, covered as far as that's concerned. But basically what I'm trying to tell you nice folks that are listening is that uh, if you need an attorney, please reach out to one 
uh, in your own jurisdiction and make sure that they are competent and preferably kink aware. And we can talk about that uh, as we progress through the podcast. I feel like we should do a podcast episode on kink aware professionals. We can absolutely work on something like that. The short version is there is a list and it's capkinkawareprofessionals.com or org. I think it's org. It's from the National Co- yeah, and it's from the National Coalition of Sexual Freedom. The day I got my bar certification, I, I signed up for them first. Excellent. It's, uh, it's a fantastic list. It's, you know, it's really helpful if you're in more of urban areas, but it doesn't mean you can't drive if you need it, or you'd be surprised in tiny little towns, the people who have actually registered. It's, it's fascinating to go through the list and, and take a look, actually. Well, Lynn, you probably should get on that as soon as your bar certified, too. I would love to, but I am not allowed to at my current position. If you need any any help, any recommendations with that, Lynn, I'll be more than glad to help. Thank you. Awesome. We're going to start with the very basic, simplest question, the one that everybody asks. Can you actually legally consent to BDSM? Not at this time. Definitely not at this time. Now, that sounds like a bit of positive foreshadowing, which it is. And Lynn, you know, it's, it's my understanding that you're in law school or you're looking to do what I do for a living or something like that, which, by the way, welcome. And, and please, please, I, I don't want to be the only one in the country that does this. It's exhausting. It's a heavy burden to carry at times. Basically, what happened last June, the National Coalition of Sexual Freedom, it is the second largest lobbying group in the United States next to the NRA, which this proves that, you know, Americans love their guns and their sex. So there you go. Um, which I'm sure comes as a surprise to no one in this conversation or no one who's <laughs> not listening. Not at all. Uh, not at all. Uh, but they had been working on something for about six or seven years called the Consent Counts Initiative. Whenever the NCSF put out a consent survey and they noticed whenever they got people with the, the responses back, that there were people who had been the victims of domestic violence within their partnerships and they had some really difficult times at getting help. Most domestic violence shelters, if you tell them that you were in a consensual S&M relationship, they very well likely will not take you in because in their opinion, they're wasting their resources on somebody who's basically just going to go back and do it again. They didn't understand before this initiative, the difference between consensual and non-consensual, basically assault and battery. And so they did this survey, they started gathering data, and they started working with heads higher than, much higher than mine, um, the American Law Institute and the Practicing Law Institute. And what they do is that they help draft model examples of what the law should be, and they help lobbying groups, or they lobby themselves, for uh, whatever it is that they're, they're, you know, asking for or the, the changes they're asking for. And uh, so if you've seen any progressive legislation in the last hundred years or so, they probably had their hand in it. What happened is that they're like, hey, man, you know, there's plenty of people out here who do these things and they do it consensually. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it because people are consenting. There are negotiations. There are safe words. And so we need to change these laws. They're antiquated. And so last June, I got a phone. Um, BB Blue Eyes from the NCSF actually called me. She's a very good friend of mine. And she was laughing and crying at the same time. And so I picked up the phone and I was like, hey, man, what's going on? And she was like, it passed. 
I said, what are you talking about? I'm thinking a kidney stone. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, Rara. Yeah. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. I, I have kidney stones all the time. So, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so what, what are you talking about? Like, no clue. And she said, we got consent into the model penal code. And I said, I'm sorry, what? Because this is the very thing that everybody had been waiting on all these years because basically what happened is that the model penal code has now been altered in order to allow express prior permission for sadomasochistic activities. And the three things that's required to prove this is a negotiation, a safe word, and the fact that explicit prior permission was given for simple words like no, stop, don't, you know, stuff like that to not be one of those safe words, you know, that's especially handy if you practice consensual Mm non-consent. And so those are the basic three things you need to do uh, in order to be protected under this, this new code. But, and this is the thing that I have to express and I have to be clear about. This is a model penal code. It has not been passed in any of the states. Now we are lobbying states right now, I believe, um, Maryland and Washington State and New York are the three that they're attacking first. But this has not become an actual part of the law yet. You know, people like me can immediately start using this, but it's going to take a grassroots effort and it's going to take people backing the NCSF and other organizations like it that's going to try to get it passed in all of the states. Well, how do you find out what the laws are in your particular state? Is there a place people can go? look up this information. So Lynn, can you can you pipe in there with that one? Uh, yes. So most um, state codes, I live in the Commonwealth, so our law is called a code. Um, they're published online. You can Google and look up and I'll pull up the code section right away. Um, like in Virginia, you can look up the strangulation code and it actually has a part where it says if you impede the airway with consent. It's not considered strangulation, but if, like, because they put the word in consent, you know that um, you won't get charged if you do the choking activity um, and you won't be charged with strangulation. But if there is no consent, you can be charged with strangulation. And if it's with a domestic partner, the level of crime goes up. So you can Google um, any code. Um, a lot of the times people know the law a little bit differently. Like people say assault a lot, but what they actually mean is, is battery because they'll use the word assault for battery. Um, now, do the laws differentiate between, let's say, impact and bondage? Because that was another question somebody asked me. You know, obviously, we're talking about battery versus assault. So we know from an impact standpoint. But what about from like a rope bondage standpoint? Are those also covered under this? You can't really sort of consent to it. Can I follow up on some things that that she said? Absolutely. All right. To follow up a little bit on what Lynn was saying, uh, there's actually a statute in Florida as well where you can consent to a simple battery. And I don't want to say simple assault because I don't want to say it wrong, but I know you can consent to a simple battery, which is really cool if you're into light things like, you know, uh, you know, a light paddling or something like that. But usually whenever it gets into 
floggers and canes and, and wax and cuttings and stuff like that, that's whenever it's not exactly simple anymore. So I would advise anybody who was looking up their state code to also look up case law about it. Because just because the state code says X doesn't mean it hasn't been massaged and changed and everything through the cases that have gone up through the appellate and the Supreme Courts in the individual states. Now, how does all this work? Because you've got things like boxing and wrestling and MMA. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, those people lot. are all <laughs> consenting and they're getting hurt doing stuff. Why Absolutely. is that okay? But what we do may not be. Because they are licensed and regulated. And there are people that teach it who are licensed and regulated. And so people have asked me in the past, whenever I've done my class or, or podcasts or interviews, and they're like, oh, well, you know, why don't we do that? And I said, yes, but who are the arbiters of what it is that we do in our community? If you have been in our community for longer than five minutes, <laughs> you know there's five different experts on 10 different things, and they don't know 15 things about Jack Shett, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was so thrilled to hear that I could cuss on this podcast, and it's like, you know, encouraged. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, no. Wow, they found the right woman to be here. I'm definitely the right person to be here. Mostly we just um, say, because fuck it, why not? Yeah, fuck it, right not exactly. Um, well, I tell people all the time um, whenever I open my class, I'm like, um, you should know I curse like a sailor. And if that offends you, grow up. Because if you're grown up enough to be in a dungeon getting your ass beat and getting fisted, then you can absolutely hear somebody say fuck. That's so, what we're saying. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's my philosophy. But, you know, maybe I don't have the hang up. Some people do. I kind of don't think I do. <laughs> but anyhow. Who would you in your community or your state, because it is a state licensing from state to state, who would you want to be the arbiter of what is a correct flogging or a correct caning or a correct paddling or a correct fisting or whatever the case may be? And everybody looks at me like, yeah, that would be nobody. And I'm like, exactly. And that's why it's smart to keep BDSM outside of the purveyance of any kind of licensing organization. Cause I mean, you've seen it in the news about how there's been corrupt officials and corrupt referees and corrupt um, yeah. licensing boards and all this, you know, and how they allowed steroids in and all of this other stuff. We don't want that in our community, not, but also, you know, they may not, they don't give their driver's license names, you know, whenever they're on FetLife. I'm one of the few people who go, hi, my name is Sarah Steele. My that, bar number I'm going to interrupt because eight. that actually leads me to an interesting question. No. So I have my own private dungeon and I have yes. people come to play parties here. And one of the sure. things that I do is I had a lawyer friend write me up a waiver to hopefully protect me, <laughs> but also includes things like you're not allowed to go to the press with what you see. You're not allowed to um, take pictures, take pictures and all of that. And I do make the people who come when they're signing that I make them give me their license and check their legal names. And the, the legal right. waiver has to be signed with, with their, their legal, legal names. names. Sure. And I sure. know so does our local public dungeons. You also have to do right. the same with your legal name, show proof of it and sign waivers. Absolutely. Does that actually work helping protect people? Well, it works to help protect the people that own the business mm -hmm. or who own the dungeon. It doesn't do jack shit for people who are attending. <laughs> and I tell people that all the time. It's just like any other waiver whenever you go to, you know, like a, a hotel or a regular convention whenever, or, you know, you you walk in uh, like a work convention. I mean, not even a king convention, right? 
and they um, have you sign this waiver and it's called a premises liability waiver. And what that usually means is that it's protecting you, you know, in case somebody trips and falls or something like that. Um, as yeah, far that's one as of the things the- I list in there. In case somebody trips <laughs> oh, and falls, pretty really? much, yeah, right. They can't sue me yeah, or my landlord. Yes. Well, shit, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> well, that's premises liability, and then the other thing you're talking about is um, uh, a non-disclosure agreement, right? Where you don't disclose what's going on there, you don't take any pictures, you don't spread it around, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of that is fine. Um, the NDA does protect all parties, but the premises liability waiver is especially for the dungeon person. But I'm going to tell you right now. You cannot contract for anything that is illegal, and so you cannot put in your contract, and it hold up in court, that, you know, uh, if you get your ass beat or you do a cutting and you end up getting septic and blah, 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 and all this other stuff, you won't sue me because you were admitting that you were allowing illegal activity on your premises. That's not going to protect you. Okay. So be careful of that and make sure in any liability waiver that you have, you have what's called a severability clause, which means that uh, if one part of your uh, waiver ends up being deemed un, uh, or not legal or unenforceable in court, that does not negate the rest of the waiver. That is so incredibly important. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. That's why I had a, an actual lawyer write that up for me because yeah. well, you right. can get you can get ideas off the internet, but I didn't know if that would work in a court of law. Lynn, do you have anything to add to that? Kind of. I guess it depends on the laws of your jurisdiction because I know with um, the state that I live in, if you start charging or have any kind of liability waivers and things like that, your, I guess, responsibility for that premise goes up more than if they're just considered guests. So your duty to the people that are at your premise increases if you have more um, of a business type of relationship, like having a waiver or permission type of thing, then your your responsibility and your duties to that person increases. So if you're doing it out of your home and you just have them to throw a party and they're just your guests, your duty to that person is not as high as if you charge them and make them sign a waiver and things like that. So you have to keep that in mind also when you throw parties or when you open up your home as like a play space. What if you're charging them, but they are not signing a waiver? I've been to one of Lady Steele's um, classes before where she talks about not having money on premise and things like that. So um, I kind of agree with her on that where... Um, it can lead to other problems if you charge and have cash on hand. Yeah, my understanding, at least in this area, is we can't legally charge. We call it donation. Yeah. And if that's the case, you better have a 501c3. The fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. They got Al Capone on tax evasion. They didn't get him on prostitution or gambling or uh, running liquor or anything else. So that's why you have to be careful with the words throwing around like donations, things of that nature. Um, as far as the waiver is concerned and the additional responsibilities that Lynn was talking about, absolutely true. I don't go deep into that in my classes most of the time. That's why I tell them, you know, look into premises liability and all this, but she's absolutely correct. And that if you start 
you know, creating writings and charging money and all that, you all of a sudden go from, you know, just friends that are hanging out to potential, you know, a potential business. Okay, cool. So you're running a potential business, you're taking money. That means you're going to have to account for that money and over a certain amount, um, federal law states that you have to report that as income. Now you can uh, report it as miscellaneous income. You absolutely can, but after a while, even, I mean, that's what a lot of sex workers do. You know, they report it as miscellaneous income. But then if you collect enough money, then it's going to turn into a tax liability. And it's just, honestly, it's just a great big pain in the ass. What I tell people to do is, in lieu of money, tell people to bring supplies, tell people to bring food, tell people to donate time um, as opposed to money, because unless you're there to make it a money-making venture, and don't get me wrong. You can absolutely do that. There's a gentleman that owns a farm out here in West Atlanta who used to throw some, one of the most successful play parties in the state. And then, um, and, and I was his lawyer for other things, but I asked him one day, I was like, Hey man, how do you do this with these hundreds of people that come on your land once a month and all of this? And he smiled and he said, I incorporated a long time ago. I'm like, a boy. Because, but then again, you have to sort of report what is it that you're doing in that incorporation? You know, and so that's where it kind of gets fuzzy. And if you use the word donation, you don't donate to a business, you donate to a nonprofit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So my next question, this is really, really important to me. So I'm going to hit both of you with this. So Lynn, I'm going to start with you and then I'll move on to Lady Steel. Can your involvement in BDSM legally affect your job? It can to a degree. I just really think it depends on the type of job. I know where I'm from, there's a lot of DOD, um, high security clearance type of jobs here. And it does affect, uh, it can affect clearance levels because BDSM is considered in some aspects criminal and illegal. So to a point, it just depends on what type of job you have. It can affect security clearance levels. It can affect some of the jobs. Um, it can definitely affect my job. I am, I said I'm a independent judicial officer. What I actually do is I watch, I write all the warrants and search warrants and, um, I conduct bail hearings for the state that I live in. So for me, I have to be impartial and non-biased at all times. So I can't have any political affiliates. I can't have any criminal history background, things like that. So for me, it can definitely affect my job, but the only reason I can do talks like this is because it's more educational purposes, and so it just depends on what type of job you have. Right. Well, I guess I'm fucked. Well, there's, I, I mean, I know some jobs have ethics clauses mm -hmm. in the contracts. I better check mine. First of all, it's fascinating to know what Lynn does now. I have a complete understanding of what it is she does and why it is that, yeah, she has to kind of be on the DL with what she does. She's absolutely correct. As far as any sort of clearances are concerned, she's definitely right. She gave the lawyer answer. It depends. I was over here chuckling while it was going on um, because there are <laughs> some clearances that you get and some applications that you do. Like, for instance, whenever I applied to the Georgia Bar, I disclosed everything because their rules basically are you can do what you want, basically, or you could have done what you wanted in your past, even had a criminal history, but you better disclose it to us. Do not let us find out after the fact. And so that. Is, yeah, we've heard that. Yeah. I, yeah. I have a friend who works for the FBI yeah. and they call it blackmailable. Right. Yeah. 
Correct. If you can be blackmailed by it, as long as it's out in the open, it doesn't matter. Right. They want to know. And so um, well, I went and taught in North Carolina this class. And there was this woman who approached me that had pseudonyms within pseudonyms within pseudonyms. I am not exaggerating. She had pseudonyms three deep to hide who she was because of the morality clause and the ethics clause that was in her nursing license uh, agreement whenever she signed up to be a nurse in North Carolina. And so uh, one of my partners, Master Meta, he is in nursing school right now. And I keep telling him, I'm like, you might want to check Georgia law and make sure you're not going to get jammed up, you know, showing up, making public appearances with me, getting your picture taken, doing all of this other stuff. There are other other people that have to take into consideration, like school teachers, child care workers, anybody that uh, pastors, ministers, anybody who is considered to be, you know, the, the caretaker of the vulnerable. You know, these are the sort of people that have to kind of keep an eye out. And I make the joke all the time. You know, it's incredibly hard to get into a state bar. But once you're in, you basically have to kill the hooker that you just did blow off of her ass in order to get kicked out. Um, yeah. Yes. Whoa. Yes, that's a joke. Somewhat. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> somewhat, you know, that's way too specific to be improvised. No, um, seriously, though, it takes a lot. You know, basically in Georgia, the only way you can truly screw up is to commit a high level felony or to um, steal client funds. I mean, other than that, you can be sanctioned, you can be punished, you can be reeducated, all this other stuff. But if they found out now that I was, you know, um, deeply into the BDSM community, they wouldn't care. So it is very fact specific. It is very person specific, career specific. So check out any licensing boards, check your employment agreements, you know, sometimes. And so look at any contract that you sign when you go for a new job to make sure that you're not going to run afoul of anything. Well, I'm going to go have to check my contract now. Yeah, read the thing that you sign. It's always important to do that. I do that from conventions all the way up to stuff involving the bar and everything else in between. So Now, what about in cases of like divorce and child custody? Now, I know I got divorced in Arizona, which is a no-fault state. Mm-hmm. So, so, it was, so it was super simple. And I know that my ex-husband tried with his attorney to say, oh, well, she's into BDSM. Can we use that? And the attorney said, no, they don't care unless you could prove somehow it makes her an unfit mother and you can't. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I don't think that's the same way in all states. I am the BDSM practitioner specialist and all that. Well, what that means is that I practice all sorts of area of law. And if BDSM or ethical non-monogamy affects it, then people usually come to me for that. I have had several cases where it was it, meaning BDSM was trying to be or even polyamory. Um, was trying to be brought in as a factor in regards to the division of assets, because technically it is adultery, uh, unless you have a pre- or post-nuptial agreement or some sort of exceptions like in New York. If everybody knew what was going on and everybody consented, you can't basically go, oh, well, they committed adultery because they screwed around outside the marriage. No, you knew. So go away, you schmuck. I like New York for that very reason. Essentially, I have stood up in court and the judge was older than, than dirt, I think. And the other side was trying to make some sort of a deal, you know, a big deal about, oh, well, you know, uh, her client is into this and into that and does this and does that. And you could tell the judge's face because they were using technical BDSM terms. 
And, you know, the, the judge was very confused. You could tell he was having a bad day. He didn't understand what was going on. And he looked over at me and he said, Miss Steele, do you have any idea what she's talking about? I said, yes, sir. Have you ever watched the movie Fifty Shades of Grey? And I know a lot of people in the community like moan and groan at this point when I mentioned that movie. Me! Because, and they're like, well, you know, it sucks, blah, blah, blah. It's not a great and accurate portrayal. Yeah, but you know what? It enabled me to do exactly what I'm about to tell you. And he said, yes, I went and watched that with my daughters. And I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure what's going on there. Uh, <laughs> really Hold the phone. <laughs> that, is, that is not my business. That's between you and, and your higher power. Um, and hopefully everybody was consenting. But I said, essentially what my clients were, what my client and his girlfriend does is exactly what Christian and Anastasia does. He was like, okay. Are the children exposed to it? I said, not even a little. They keep this box locked in this box in this room that's locked and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, so the children have never seen it. They've never been exposed to it. They've never heard a term about it. I said, no, your honor. And he looked at the other attorney and said, don't bring it up again. This is wholly irrelevant. And wow, so, good. And so it absolutely can affect it. But if you have someone who is savvy enough in the lingo or at least know to quote, you know, a relatively popular movie then you can get by with a surprising amount. Now, um, in the cases where that has not been the case, I get consulted, God, at least once a month, where people who are involved in divorce cases or child custody cases or D uh, Department of Family Children Services cases, cases are like, you know, I have this lawyer. I didn't even know you existed. My God, can you please talk to them? Because they don't have a freaking clue about what's going on. And so I consult with them and let them know about the Consent Counts Initiative and kind of give them a guideline because, unfortunately, nothing is 100%. Um, you know, sometimes you get somebody that level of understanding. Sometimes you get somebody who is so incredibly conservative and it doesn't matter the age, you know, and they can, you know, absolutely use it against your client because, well, nah, that's just not moral and this is not in the best interest of the child. And so, again, you know, I, I got to go back to what Lynn said, you know, so many times already. It depends. Um, it depends on the state. If you find yourself in a pickle, please find a kink aware professional. And if you can find someone in your area, contact me, Attorney Lady Steele on FetLife. And that's not a, a shameless plug, although it may sound like it. <laughs> it's my offer of assistance. I'm going to probably end up uh, taking you up on that and asking a few questions myself after this. <laughs> Because now I have more questions, but they're more personal than I can air. <laughs> we still need to get back to the bondage question, too. I haven't forgotten. Oh, that. yeah. If there's, I, see, we got so, so much information. I got so excited. I forgot. Yeah. So the question again was, did the law, what, what would be the loss from, let's say, from a, like a rope bondage standpoint versus, you know, impact where obviously that's battery and we can't necessarily consent to battery? Lynn, do you want to try that one since uh, Lady still took the last question? Um, sure. I think it, I, I know we keep saying it depends, but it really depends. I think it doesn't matter that much. However, with rope, the difference is a lot of rope is transitioned or looked upon as art and they are not inherently like BDSM or it doesn't like, I always say rope is edge play. And I know anybody who practice rope says rope is yeah, edge it play. Is. But for the greater public who are not in the BDSM community, they don't look at rope and think, oh, that's edge play or, oh, that's harming someone. 
And there was a case in Virginia, actually Virginia federal court that said you don't have the right or because the whole premise of that case was using the Texas v. Lawrence to say that the Supreme Court said that there is privacy between people in their bedroom. But that court case said, unless you're hurting someone. So when you look at rope bondage, because the greater public and social media and everybody else doesn't really think there is harm or a visible or noticeable injury, that it might not be looked upon as like a taboo or as the same as impact play. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it's really funny you say it that way too, because for me, when I do, I, I'm a, a rope slut. And when I do, <laughs> I have to, when I do my rope suspension, I, I actually always refer to it as art. Yes. So, uh, and it's different between like Western rope and Eastern rope. Eastern rope, rope was used as like torture things. But in Western rope, it's very aesthetic and it's all about art form. And they don't see like the rope burns that the bottoms get or possible uh, muscle injuries. Those things are like out of people's mind and they just see, oh, it's pretty. It's art. So it's okay. Yeah. All right. So Lady Steele, I'm going to throw the question to you about BDSM contracts because I've heard mixed advice about them. I've heard don't have them at all because that would be proof that you're that you're going to abuse somebody. I've heard you can have them, but don't sign them. Um, may I hop back to the rope thing? Something very important, very sure. quickly. In Georgia, it can be considered kidnapping because huh. it, because in Georgia, you are not required to move a person for a kidnapping charge. You only have to restrict their liberty. It can also be considered false arrest. So yeah, it also it definitely depends on your jurisdiction. But I will say this on the side of what Lynn was saying and what you all were saying. Um, I have never seen personally anyone get prosecuted for that. They can, but they haven't. And where they usually run afoul is that they will be doing, you know, gorilla rope scenes. Um, if you don't know what that is, that's going out and doing bondage in places that normally you would not be doing it like in public places on. Um, or they were just doing photo shoots or something like that. And they claimed art as well. And where they ran afoul was that they did not get the proper permits to do what they were doing in the jurisdiction they were doing it in. So I always tell people who want to do rope in public outside of a dungeon or outside of a private play party or a private home, make sure that, you know, Caesar gets his due. And most of the time there won't be any problems from that. So back to contracts, contracts, don't do it. Don't do it. I have drafted plenty I have written them in calligraphy. I've watched people write them and sign them in blood. They're absolutely what? wonderful, they be beautiful. Pretty. Calligraphy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm sorry. I do calligraphy. I can't imagine doing a PDSM contract written in calligraphy. Well, it was relatively simple too. I'm a I'm a keep it simple, stupid t- kind of person, and uh, so whenever I write those, um, they either pay me a large amount of money to do it, or you know, they I, <laughs> or it's a, a onesie or twosie pager. But yes, it is what I consider in my business to be evidence. (laughs) And so until and unless the model penal code is enacted in your state now, the good news about the model penal code, it does say, remember I told you the three things that was necessary. 
um, that regular words of no stop and all this other stuff do not apply. You do a negotiation, you have a safe word. Something that was put into this model penal code was that the negotiation can be oral or in writing. And so that is so important because, yeah, the second that becomes effect in your state, get it in writing every single fucking time. But as of right now, it is not, so don't do it because it can be used as evidence. There is a case up in New York where this guy and this girl were in college and they had a DS relationship. And long story short, he was convicted on the trial level, but whenever he got to the appellate level and appealed, um, fortunately that court in New York said, oh yeah, well, here's proof that everything was consensual. This is fine. This is cool. Blah, blah, blah. And the case finally got kicked, but it ruined the fuck out of his life for, you know, however many years. And I have to mention the attorney's fees. So as of right now, Lady Seal says, don't do it now. You can create them, make them part of a ceremony, make them part of a collaring ceremony or some sort of, you know, agreement ceremony or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and then I tell people immediately make burning it a part of it. What about like texts and emails of negotiations for scenes? Does that show Same. consent or can it be used against you as well? Same thing. Well, you can't consent to something that's illegal. And as of right now, what it is that we do is still illegal by and large. So putting something in writing is shows premeditation for the illegal act. So texting negotiations. When the, when, what the fuck? This is like, this is complicated. Uh, this is why we're doing an episode on this because this is complicated. Well, complicated. Do what we used to do in the old school. And now you're talking about somebody that's been in this lifestyle for 20 years. Well, 23 now. And, you know, I used to ride on a dinosaur to the dungeons uphill both ways in the snow, you know. Um, do what we used to do. Hey, we're going to hook up at this place. We're going to do this. And then you sit down and do the negotiations there. Now, you can have someone there with you to watch the negotiations. Um, it's still not going to do any good later as far as, you know, talking about consent in the legal eye. Because, again, can't consent to anything that's illegal. But what it might help is that if something goes afoul then, um, you know, at least within your own community, you can act accordingly if something goes wrong. You know, I'm a big, huge person on vetting. I'm a big, huge person on excommunicating the people who are repeat offenders. You know, everybody makes mistakes, not on the first time, but these people who go out and we all have them in our community where they go and they screw somebody over literally or physically or both. And then, you know, they're allowed into the next play party. I was just having this conversation the other day. I said, who are they? Because Lady Steele opens her mouth. Mm -hmm. Ever want to know if somebody's good, bad, or ugly in a community? Ask Lady Steele because I will name names. And I have absolutely no problem with doing that. And if this one person ever does it to somebody who's willing to testify, I will make sure that they, I will do my dead level best. I'm not a prosecutor. Um, to make sure that this person is prosecuted for rape because they've done it before and they will do it again. But the unfortunate part is a lot of people won't come forward. Uh, but I name names. I name driver's license names. I named with some people. Oh, well, that's outing. Yeah, you're goddamn right. I'm going to out you if you're a criminal. I have absolutely no problem with that. And that has been my line ever since I've been in the community. So if you ever want to know what's up with somebody, if I don't know, I probably know somebody who does. You can always feel free. Y'all that are listening to this, feel free to contact me on FetLife. Again, Attorney Lady Steele, and I'll be more than glad to vet anybody for you. Lynn, do you have any comments that you'd like to add on that? Uh, yes. Yeah. So just think of if it exists, it can be used against you. It's like if you say it, if you put it down on paper, 
if it exists anywhere, it can be used against you in court of law. It's kind of like it reminds me of like old school uh, letters, love letters that were sent back and forth between like famous people. There's um, I was I listened to this podcast of like historical Mm -hmm. people. And apparently there was a princess who was writing to a guy. And that was a huge no no. And they were having this like romance and stuff. And she had to get her best friend to go to him and burn all of the letters. Yeah. Oh, Marie Antoinette did it. I was reading something about that just the other day, and that was very scandalous. Right. Well, this was this was Princess Charlotte of England, and she was supposed to be married to some German monarch or whatever it was. And like she had to get her buddy to to chase down her ex flame and burn all of the letters. And he was like, no, they're in a lockbox. And they're like, no, burn them. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about so mandated reporters. You know, medical personnel are mandated reporters. And if you end up having to seek a medical attention for an injury, what's the best way to handle that to hopefully minimize problems? Get a kinky doctor. <laughs> well, yeah, but you don't know in the emergency room right. if you're going to get a kinky doctor. So this question's interesting because in my community, we have like a town hall and the community people are really scared to have me in the town hall for the main reason of they think that I'm a mandatory reporter. And technically, I am. But in the state that I live in, the only mandatory reporting law there is is for child abuse and neglect. So there's no like law in Virginia saying that if I know someone's getting abused, that I have to report it. Like an adult. Yeah. So if an, if anyone over the age of 18, if I know that they're being abused, I don't have a duty to report. There's no mandated reporting law for that. Good Did not know that. to know. So that means that I don't have to mandatorily report that Rara's getting her ass beat at a party. Exactly. So the mandatory law in Virginia only applies to child abuse and neglect. But there are other states that have mandatory uh, reporting laws for domestic violence and um, even elder abuse. So you really have to look for what that state has under their mandatory reporter law. Am I old enough to qualify for elder abuse? Technically, Uh you are a senior. (laughs) And you know what? You can't say anything because you've used your senior to get a discount. <laughs> so if I well, smack Rara, is that elder abuse? Yes, it is. <laughs> well, in Georgia, um, it's similar, except we do have the domestic violence. We have all of this. But how we, I mean, first of all, I'm a mandated reporter because I'm an attorney. But, you know, st- snitches get stitches as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I ain't about that life unless it's true abuse. Like I said, not just a few minutes ago, you know, if there's criminal activity going on, I will out you. I will tell everybody your driver's license name. I will tell everybody where it was, what you were doing, etc. Still protect the other people, mind you, that it was going on with. But if somebody comes forward and says, Lady Steele, this happened to me, you know, blah, blah, and all this other stuff. Uh, yeah, fuck that. I'm, I'm going to report them. Um, but as far as, you know, going to doctors and stuff like this, yes, absolutely use a kinkaware professional if you can. Otherwise, and I have been personally in this situation uh, where I went to, I'm, I'm a survivor of breast cancer, and I went to my hematologist oncologist, 
and he was doing a breast exam and I had bruises on my titties. And the doctor looked at me and was like, hey, man. <laughs> and I was like, don't worry. Everything was consensual. And I said it with such a a assuredness behind it, a confidence behind it. He actually looked at me and he said, you know, coming from you, I can believe that. And he just moved right along, you know. Rara had to out I, herself to her waxer. Well, I ha- actually, I had the similar situation because I had um, a cardiology workup. And the nurse was just about to put the leads Mm -hmm. on my chest. And my boobs were covered in bruises. So before she ever saw a single bruise, I turned to her and said, by the way, you will see bruises on my breasts. And I can 100% assure you, they were absolutely consensual. And she just looked at me. She goes, okay. Now, I don't know that she's necessarily kink friendly. Yeah, but medical professionals aren't naive either. You'd be surprised what it is they've seen, especially EMTs. I am not surprised. I've heard plenty of stories of what they see. Hey, I slipped and fell. It's a potato, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think one of the advantages to that is you don't wait for them to find it. I proactively told her that's what she would see. Mm -hmm. So it didn't appear as much like I'm trying to hide anything. Well, lucky for me, I don't bruise. Yeah, well, you don't, I don't do, do that. that level of play. So that doesn't matter. Now, if I walk in with like electrical burns, I probably would that mention. Actually, so, so that leads me to an interesting question. But because, on me, they're self-inflicted. No, no, because TENS unit, right? And that kind of stuff. I've had TENS units done at a physical therapist. Yeah, oh, absolutely. for medical purposes. For, for literally medical purposes. You use it for other purposes so for fun stuff so can can you legally consent with that with her well see that's kind of where the line gets fuzzy because those are the sorts of things that are used medically but it's kind of like the boxing thing where if you are using it you should be a professional that is licensed and certified to use it you see what i mean Mm -hmm. that's where it gets kind (laughs) of hinky so you have to be careful with that Plus, we're not um, because, using yeah, it for intended purposes. I'm sorry, say again? So, it also is that you're not using it for its intended right. purposes. Right. So, right, you're right, perverting right. the use. Hence the Thank term God. pervertible. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I tell people all the time whenever it comes to this life, you know, choose your own adventure. What is it? Uh, have a risk profile. You know, we have a risk profile Whenever it comes to our BDSM play, you should also have a risk profile whenever it comes to, you know, how are you wanting to interact with law enforcement? You know, how much do you want to interact with law enforcement and how do you want to do that when and if that time ever comes? You kind of have to have a script beforehand to be able to explain what's going on intelligently You know, I tell people all the time, never be so deep into subspace or top space to where you can't talk to law enforcement, um, which a lot of people get their panties in a bunch about that. Because it's like, oh, but I get so floaty and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, don't we all? But you know what? You damn sure better sober up. Keep some ammonia next to you as a, you know, uh, (laughs) sniffing salts or smelling salts, whatever. Because whenever it comes time to talking to the law, they don't care how high you are. As a matter of fact, being high like that in Georgia and you drive can be considered driving under the influence. So, I believe that 100% because I have yeah. been that high from a scene. Absolutely. And I remember going to work and somebody looked at me at work and went, are you high? 
I was literally high for three days after a scene and I went to work like that. And boy, that was probably not a smart thing. Lucky for me, I live very, very close to work. So it was an incredibly short drive, but still. Absolutely. Well, that, that leads to an interesting, a good point. So what do you do if you're approached by police? So as I said, I, I throw private parties in my dungeon. What happens if there's a knock, knock, knock at my door and the cops show up? Invite them to join. Ha ha! If only. Um. Dude, yes. I'm going to be like, hey, you've got handcuffs. <laughs> That's probably harassing a police officer, though, right? Yeah. Well, it depends on who they are. <laughs> but, yeah. I know a few. <laughs> I know a few kinky cops. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I know a guy. But yeah, so answering the actual <laughs> the actual answer to the question. Are you throwing it to me or throwing it to Lynn? Well, Lynn, why don't you start and then we'll, we'll let Lady Steel take and finish it. Um, first, never ever invite them into the house. <laughs> I know I was playing. <laughs> I, well, um, I promise I won't actually invite the cop to join yeah, us. Well, if they're at I, the door, don't I, answer actually, it. After, after saying some magic words, you absolutely can let them and better let them into the house, especially if they're on a domestic violence call, because they're coming in anyway. No, we but, meant for like, yeah. for like a party, though. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But again, we can get to that. <laughs> First, I think you should have an understanding of what your area's, like, police policies are. I know the area that I work in, police have a lot of discretion for um, domestic violence stuff where they don't even bring people in. They can just write summons or um, if they don't, if they get a call but they don't see anything, it's up to their discretion whether or not bring you in or not. So... You, ha- you should have a little bit of a repertoire of what you're going to say to the police. I know what I say is, I always say, first off, everything's consensual. I'm over the age of 18 because for some reason people think I'm younger than I am. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I make sure to let them know that I am sound of mind. Everything I'm doing is consensual that I am over the age of 18 and I listen to every direction that the police give me. If they want me to give them my ID, I do it. They want me to step out of the vehicle, I do it. If they want me to just whatever direction that they give me, I do it so that they don't have a reason to escalate the situation. Yeah, don't give them just cause, right? Exactly. Lady Steele, you're up. Well, I completely disagree, but then again, I would. <laughs> it depends on if you are throwing a party at your house or you're having a play scene at your house, someone else's house, in a hotel room, in your car. Well, you wouldn't be having a scene in your car, but you would be driving somewhere, you know, where you had a police interaction. And don't get me wrong, I'm all about compliance whenever it comes to the police, and I'm all about compliance about letting them into your home. And I'm going to tell you how. Police come to your door. And first of all, the person that owns the house should not be the one that answers the door um, or has the lease or whatever legal right to be there, because then that gives the people inside more time to wash up, cover up, you know, cover up marks, et cetera, et cetera. And if the police in Georgia, at least whenever the police come for a domestic violence call, they do have to enter and investigate. They, you, they come to the door and the person steps out, shuts the door behind them and says, good evening, officer. How may I be of service? Because we're always polite. 
and they say, we have to come in, blah, blah, domestic violence, etc. Um, say, well, I'm not the owner of the house. Let me go get them for you. And then they step back in, shut the door behind them, walk. And while they're doing this, they're not walking at a brisk pace. You know, they're, they're more of a saunter. More of a saunter, mm -hmm, a little bit of a trot, maybe. And um, especially if they're in hunting gear. And, you know, so <laughs> and then they get the people who are, who is the responsible party. They trot and or saunter over to the door and they open the door and ask the same question. The police says, now if they hear just like a noise disturbance or something, oh, I'm so sorry, officer. You know, we're having a few people over. We'll be sure to turn it down. Um, if they insist on coming in, do not block the person with the badge and the gun because that can cause a lot of problems for you and the people that are on the inside. So, um, again, domestic violence call will use worst case scenario. And then you look at them and you say three times, I do not consent to any searches officer. We're all going to repeat it. I do not, do not consent to any, any searches, searches officer. officer. Very good. <laughs> Why am I treating you like a kindergartner? Because you will remember this. And in the event you get into a high-pressure situation, if you're not used to dealing with law enforcement like Lynn and I are, then you will remember this. I've had people write me on FetLife saying, you know what, I felt like an idiot in your class while I was doing this, but it works. I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> that's that's why I say the thing. <laughs> and so if you get it three times, that means that their body cam gets it, and hopefully the phone or the ring camera that you have also gets it. Despite, even if you're in a two-party state where everybody involved has to know you're being recorded, keep the recording anyway. Because someone like me may not be able to use it, but the court of public opinion certainly can. Because I'm telling you right now, Mr. Floyd's murderer would not, yes, the police officer, would not have been convicted if it wasn't for that young woman standing there and videotaping it the whole time. Mm -hmm. So record, press record whenever you're having to deal with the police. Whenever you walk out, keep the phone in your pocket, do the thing. Hopefully you have a ring camera at your front door. And then once you have said that you do not consent to any searches, you have preserved your Fourth Amendment rights, and then you let them in. Now, keeping in mind, they are only allowed to look for what is on a warrant, if they have one, or only what is within their eyesight. They can't go through closets. They can't dig through toy bags. They can't do all of that in Georgia, again. And so, you know, keep in mind that they may try to do that. If they do, you absolutely have the right to say no on behalf of the people and the people themselves absolutely have the right to say, I do not consent to any searches officer, because that helps, like I said, pres preserve your Fourth Amendment, Fourth Amendment search and seizure rights. And then me or somebody like me can hopefully get whatever it is they think they find kicked out of court. Now, if they see any marks on anyone, which is very important that people cover themselves from their necks to their wrists to their ankles. But if they don't, if they see any marks, especially if it's a domestic violence call, they're going to separate the two people involved. They're going to pair them up with what they think is an officer that matches their gender. And they will talk. And this is whenever you tell them, I was having adult, kinky, consensual sex. We're going to say it together. Adult, I was, I was having, having adult, adult, kinky, kinky consensual, consensual sex. sex. Adult, meaning there's no human trafficking going on. Atlanta is the number one hub in the United States for human trafficking. That's important in my state. I thought that was Columbus. Uh, as far as I know, it's Atlanta. And I don't think, yay, we're number one. Believe me, I don't want to. <laughs> yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I work very closely with um, anti-trafficking organizations. And, and, and at last call, um, yes, Atlanta is still number one in the United States. 
adult kinky, meaning if they've seen Fifty Shades of Grey or their grandfather Methuselah, the judge, has seen Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever the case may be, they kind of have an understanding of what's going on. Consensual, yes, right now consent is not necessarily a defense depending on your jurisdiction, but if they go, oh, that there was a slap and tickle, that's what was going on, then usually it's fine. And then if all else fails telling them it's sex, even if you're not having sex, by the way, sex, then it kind of embarrasses them. I've embarrassed many a police officer talking to them about situations like this. And by the time they get through those four little adjectives, they're usually announced. They're usually <laughs> ready to kind of move on. And then what will happen is that the officers will swap and they will talk to the other people. In other words, the opposite people will talk to the opposite people and then they'll come back together and compare stories. And so maybe there should be a law where all police officers are now gender neutral. One would think. Um, <laughs> And so, God, wouldn't that be the dream? And so um, once they swap back and they talk to one another, if the stories match, you know, relatively substantially, then they'll go, oh, okay, this is what's going on, you know, moving on. Um, and if they don't, then one or both people may be going to jail, depending on your jurisdiction. And I'm going to tell you all folks the same thing that I do uh, the people in my class. I can only give you this information as best practices. It does not mean it's going to get you out of trouble every time, but it's absolutely the best thing that you can do. Whenever you're pulled over by the police, I'm going to use an example from Master Meta's life. Um, he's an eight-year Army combat vet. He has the, the vet tag on the back of his car, but he also carries a nine-inch K-bar right to his right in his car at all point in time. And he has gotten out of many tickets and have not gotten into trouble in any police interaction because before they even, like, start on their spiel, he will hand over his driver's license, he will have his hands attended to, and he will say, I have a 9-inch K-bar blade to my right located at blah, blah. I have a pocket knife that's located at blah, blah. You know, if you are a concealed carry person or an open carry person, make sure they know where your weapons are. And so if you give them the information, absolutely on compliance. I agree with what Lynn said about that, but I also agree on not giving up your rights. They tell you to step out of your car, then you roll up your windows, lock your door behind you, put your keys in your pocket, make sure your cell phone is recording. And whenever they say, oh, I want to go into your car and search, again, I do not consent to any search as officer. Even if you sound, you know, kind of weird, you know, saying that over and over and over again, you parroting that to them is absolutely going to get a message across. There was somebody else that went to one of my classes that went a step further whenever they went to search their car and said, I want a warrant. And they're like, well, we'll stand here and wait for a warrant. And he said, okay. And then all of a sudden they changed their tune and let him go. So stand up for your rights as long as your risk profile allows it. So know your risk profile. Understand what it is you're willing to give up and what you're not in order to comply with the police interaction. But always, always preserve your Fourth Amendment rights because they're federal and they're there for a reason. So if there's somebody who's into electrical play who's running around with a taser in their kit, is that something you go, hey, I'm carrying this, this is over here, or is that I don't consent to any searches? Um, well, you can disclose that if it is sitting near you and why you would have your toys sitting near you while you're traveling. I don't know. I recommend you put them in a locked toy bag and the lock can be just a little tiny diary lock or it can be a lock as, you know, the big gregarious master lock. But have your toy box or bag locked in your trunk, which is also locked, or in like a locking toolbox if you have a pickup truck, or under a target cover if you have an SUV, something like that. 
that's, you know, where your, your trunk is locked, make sure you have double, triple layers of locks because they have to have a different level of probable cause to get through those different layers. So if your taser is in your trunk that's locked and a toy bag that's locked, you don't have to disclose that. If for some reason you forgot it and it's your passenger seat, yes, ma'am, you better disclose that. Okay. Within easy reach, basically. Yeah. If they could see it. Or if they can see it, yeah. Like where anybody can sit in the car, basically. Okay. That's about it, I think. Well, I would say any last general do's and don'ts. And we'll have Lynn go first, and then uh, we'll let Lady Steele answer. General do's are make sure you are aware of the risks of what you're doing and have a plan. And my don'ts are don't be a jerk. (laughs) That's sort of a good life rule. Right. I mean, a lot of the times the the officers who might stop you are doing a job and sometimes you get a little anxious because you subconsciously know that or you know that the activities we're doing are technically illegal. So you get nervous and then you kind of like amp up and become a little bit more of a jerk than you normally would be. But if you're just really nice and cordial and just not be a jerk and then like nine out of 10 times you can get through whatever situation that you are in. All right, Lady Steele. Oh my goodness. Are we talking in general or are we talking legally? Cause I got you on both counts. Whatever last words of advice you would like to share with the listeners works for us. I'm going to go on legal on the legal aspect, go to the website, flexyourrights.org because a lot of what I talked about in regards to searches and seizures is on there with videos, with examples. Um, Do not be afraid to record any interaction with any law enforcement, because whether you're in a two party or a one party state, it might be able to be used in your case. um, uh, Like I said, either in the court of public opinion or in your actual case, look up and see if you're in a two party or one party state meaning only one person has to know a recording is occurring versus everybody that's involved. Absolutely negotiate. I have a negotiations list myself. Do not leave it in writing. You know, I, I, I loved what Lynn said about don't be a dick. That's my number one rule in my protocols class. Um, you know, if somebody says no, then God damn it, it means no. Um, it might not mean no forever, you know, but kind of like what the, the British uh, uh, video on consent If you ever want to look that up, Google British tea consent. It's hilarious, but it's true. You know, today I might not want tea. I've seen that. Yeah, today I might want tea, but tomorrow I might not want tea. I might not want tea from you ever again, or I might want tea every time I see you, but it's my right to say one way or the other. Know your rights. Flex your rights according to your risk profile. And if you have any questions, never hesitate to reach out to me. Because again, if I don't know the answers, I can either find it or find somebody who does. All right. And I'm going to let you say one more time. If somebody does want to reach out to you, Lady Steele, what's the best way? I will say it slower this time. Um, <laughs> I will friend um, Princess Rara after this, if Princess Rara doesn't mind. I don't mind. And uh, so you can find me through her profile, but it's attorney, spelled just like the word, lady, spelled just like the word, Steele, three E's, not all in a row, S-T-E-E-L-E. On FetLife, you can find my profile there, what I teach. If you want me to come teach this for you, I travel and I do it over Zoom. Um, I definitely prefer in person, but, you know, it's because I like to travel um, and I like the energy of people. Just like the energy today, it's uh, been absolutely amazing and I'm very grateful. Thank you very much for having me. 
And Lynn, if somebody wants to reach out and talk to you, what's the best way? Uh, I am known as Lenny Bunny on set, or they can email my Gmail. It's Lynn Tahi. It's spelled L-Y-N-N-S-E-O-H-E-E at gmail.com. Okay. And I'll make sure to include both of that in the show notes so people can find it. I want to thank the both of you so much. Such good information. Oh my gosh, incredible information. <laughs> now I'm a little panicked about my next party, but it'll be fine. Yeah, me too. I'm <laughs> panicked about a lot more than that. I'm like, oh shit, all this stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If you have a question you would like answered or just have a story about the lifestyle you want to share, you can send us a voicemail and maybe it'll be shared in a future episode. Just go to pinkkinkpodcast.com to contact us. Follow us on social media. On Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, we are Pink Kink Podcast. And on TikTok, we are The Pink Kink Podcast. Join our Facebook group, Pink Kink Podcast, and hang out with other pink kinksters. If you love what we do and are able to support us, we are on Patreon. Just look for us on patreon.com slash pink kink podcast and check out our pink kink swag available on our website, pinkkinkpodcast.com. Even if you can't show your support financially, there are other ways you can help. You can spread the word about our kinky podcast and tell your friends about us. You can also rate and review Pink Kink Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The five-star reviews really help us. And don't forget to subscribe to Pink Kink so you don't miss a minute of the fun. New episodes come out every Friday. So until next time, stay pretty, stay safe, and stay twisted.